This is where the big social, political and religious dilemmas of our day are debated. The Interrogator from the Fifth Column It's a very emotive issue, especially as the economic downturn hits us and scapegoats are looked for. Immigration. Who should be allowed into our country? Who shouldn't? Who decides? And what should we expect from those who come here and stay? We have with us Kerry Dingle, director of WorldRight and online citizen TV channel World Bites. WorldRight is an education charity committed to global equality, and Kerry believes in open borders and challenging what she calls anti-human trends. And David Goodhart, director of the independent think tank Demos, who believes that a progressive civic British nationalism is the best hope for preserving a thriving public realm. He wants the promotion of ID cards, annual migration reports and what he calls earned citizenship. We'll start with you, David. David, you say we have high levels of immigration. The figures just in, net migration to the country, staying at around 250,000, with the costs and benefits unevenly distributed. Large-scale immigration, the sort of large-scale immigration we've had since the late 90s, impacts some people very negatively in Britain and impacts other people more positively. I mean, one of the reasons we have such large-scale immigration is there is big employer demand for relatively skilled, relatively cheap labour. There are employment issues, notwithstanding... Is that, is that one of the costs, then? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely one so of the costs. Is that the main cost, the employment uh, issue? Yeah, probably is the main... Well, it's one of the main issues. I think pressure on public services is another one. Pressure on, on you know, limited, subsidised public social housing, schooling, health service. Um, you know, queues are slightly longer in the areas of high migrant settlement. But aren't you then just looking at it from a numbers point of view? I mean, what about the benefits that multiculturalism brings to a society, that vibrancy, that differentiation from what's already there? I think those benefits are very, very abstract benefits. I don't think anyone has ever put a number on them. But I mean, the point here is, you well, know, it's, easier I mean, I, I'm not... it's easier to quantify numbers with costs and jobs, but it's harder to quantify the impact. Well, that's of true. Immigrants. But you could also say it's very hard to quantify the sort of the cultural and social negative impact of a, of a community changing very, very rapidly. You know, suddenly an area fills up with unfamiliar people speaking a language you don't understand. You know, if you're an older, long term resident, you will may feel alienated by that. But again, you can't can't quantify that. Um, no, you know, people like me who are sceptical about large-scale immigration are not against immigration per se. That would be a ridiculous position to have. Well, what it's simply that the numbers, the numbers have been... Well, there's a huge difference between having net immigration of, I don't know, 25,000, 40,000 a year, which is what we had until actually the early mid-90s. People sort of, and indeed some economists are guilty of this, I think people sort of throw their arms up in the air and say, oh, we live in a globalised world, we can't stop this. And seem to forget that, you know, as recently as 15 years ago, we had absolutely, by today's standards, absolutely trivial levels of immigration. It is possible to control immigration. And I just want to get an understanding of what is the cap in your mind? What should it be? What should the figure be? Uh, it should extend wider. How the, wide, the idea though? of free movement in Europe was a very nice idea... Again, you know, when no one really did it. When the European Union consisted of a few rich countries, all at very similar levels of economic development, then, you know, a few accountants and university lecturers and students might sort of cross borders. But it was a pathetically small number, so 0.1% a year or something, until quite recently, actually moved to live in another European Union country from within the EU. So you are then, satisfied you, with the government cap? That's what I'm trying to understand. 
I mean, I think it's a start. I think you have to have a cap. I think it's politically absolutely vital to have a cap. I think, you know, there's such a level of disaffection towards large-scale immigration. I mean, Demos has got some ideas around how best to measure this and how to quantify and qualify who should come in and how they should contribute. And you talk about making a fair contribution and you also say that they need to earn citizenship when people come into this country. How can people earn their place? Isn't that quite a tall order for an immigrant coming in? Well, no, it's surely not. It's sort of commonsensically reasonable that if you come to a country, you should come and work hard and pay your taxes and so obey the law. So fair contribution and... is, is yeah. getting, a jo- getting a job that we aren't able to fill here yeah. and also paying taxes. Yeah, yeah. That's a fair contribution. OK, you said that you want the UK to follow a Canadian model and adopt a five-year probationary period for citizenship, during which time people would not qualify for full political and welfare rights. But surely, by the same token, there are Britons who fail to work and contribute, let's say, after five years, ten years, in adulthood. Shouldn't they also be stripped of their citizenship? Well, I mean, uh, no. <laughs> there no is, there, I there, mean, there, if you're going to no. define the parameters... Well, I mean, that's that, you know, you're, you're there starting from the point of view that, you know, we're all just global citizens who happen to live in a particular space of land. I, I mean, I think that's nonsense. No one believes that. Countries are kind of long-term contracts between generations. I don't think a British citizen... And, and a foreigner are the same in this respect. I mean, they're morally equal, but a British citizen should not be treated the same as, uh, or rather a foreigner should not be treated the same as a British citizen. I mean, it's a sort of one of the basic principles of national citizenship yeah. is that you should be favoured by your own government. And this is one of my complaints, that recent governments have insufficiently favoured their own citizens in relation to non-citizens. But why should so, we favour a citizen that refuses to work over an immigrant that I, wants to work and comes here and I'm gets not a saying, job? I'm not saying we should, but we should not treat these two categories of people as equal. I mean, you know, one, one person has a greater claim on our resources and our sympathy. That is what national citizenship is. It is, it is fellow citizen favouritism in a way and I think it's a, a very important aspect of modern political life that in with all the kind of you know, liberal globalisation talk we've, we've rather lost sight of. On the whole you should treat you know, non-citizens when they come here you should not generally speaking demand too much more of them than you demand of your own citizens but there are clearly certain things for example citizenship tests language tests So let's come to you, Kerry. Going back to my opening questions, who should be allowed in, who shouldn't, who should be turfed out? Your answers presumably are everybody, nobody and nobody. But the net migration in this country did go up 36% last year and we can't go on absorbing that number, can we? Well, and you know, we can't go on absorbing that number if you're someone who believes that people are just consumers and not creative beings and producers, or if you have a very instrumentalist view of humanity, that it's, you know, what they are going to take. But we have 2.7 million people unemployed in this country right now. And we have 2.7 million people unemployed, not caused by immigration saying, at all. I'm not saying the two are definitely going to be, you know, I can't say to what extent they're utterly linked. Obviously, there's a correlation between the amount of people who are out there not in work and then the amount of jobs that are available if we keep the doors just open to people coming in. Well, I don't agree because there's no explicit relationship between numbers and poverty. Some of the richest places in the world are the most densely populated. There is no correlation between numbers, as you've already indicated, and recession and unemployment. Migrants do not come here and make anybody unemployed and therefore whichever way you package it you are talking about saying there is a limited cake 
That is an anti-growth austerity argument, saying we can't create and produce more for people who are here, never mind anyone else. When I would say, let's deal with the failure to grow the cake, let's deal with the failure of vision to produce more for people who are here and other people who may wish to be temporary or long-term residents or to pop in and out. Because migration, in fact, has always represented a vision and a striving for more. It's a huge thing to leave the blob of land on which you were born and your family and your native language and to up sticks. But it's part of the history-making process. It's made Britain, it's made America, as we know. Now, the lack of vision, that's saying we haven't got enough, there's too many people, we're small, there's no space, is closing the historical imagination and what's possible. And I think clamping down on immigration, shutting our doors, is also saying we can't have much. Have less, expect less, do less, don't let more in. I'm not saying immigration caused any of the economic downturn, you know, <laughs> reams written on banks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But surely you do agree that, especially at the moment, there does need to be some kind of cap. No, I don't see how a cap on immigration or closing the borders further, and they are very close to a lot of people at the moment, will make anyone better off. Who will it ensure gets a good job? Who will it give better health care? better education, better housing. Will it build more homes? No. So the whole idea, whichever way you package it, it won't you're build, blaming sorry, migrants. Sorry, it, it won't build more homes, but it will make exactly. more homes available. Well, we have a shortage of homes available, so let's address the been... shortage of homes available and demand a million more get built. That's what we need. But this island isn't going to get any bigger, and if we never have a cap... Surely you can see the strain on all of those services that you've just mentioned. No, because, you know, let's look at China, for example, right now. There's a huge shift from rural areas to towns since China's growth has taken off and brought millions out of poverty, unfreedom and all that, we know. And yet those Chinese cities have not collapsed, far from it. And in fact, if you look at the global movement of people, it's only about 3% of the world's population actually up sticks and move around. So I don't think, you know, we're at risk of some apocalyptic drowning of an island. I think this is a small-minded fearfulness that again says not much is possible Oh, my gosh, shut the door. There's a problem and there is a issue that British people have who are here paying taxes and working. I've heard anyway, we was mentioned earlier, between half and one million people who are here at the moment are currently here illegally. How many people have we deported recently for being here illegally? Well... We can't because of human rights. Well, I don't, I don't support the European Court of Human Rights or any of those top-down attempts to you know, define any of these things. And I think so we, you're OK I with think, illegal immigrants staying I there. think they should be decriminalised and then they wouldn't be illegal immigrants, would they? I think we need freedom of movement. So and it, I want that for everybody so that we can have more loves, more life, more creative hands, people's ability to move around and do all sorts of things and, in fact, support that kind of aspiring vision which is about don't be a victim of circumstances, move to make a better life. That's what people are doing, and isn't that a good thing? David wants people to come into the UK, but only those citizens who offer, or potential citizens of the UK, a potential skill. And low-skilled workers shouldn't be allowed in if they can't do a job that we're not already doing ourselves. If you can't benefit the country, stay away. What's wrong with that? 
Well, again, it's about saying there's a limited cake share out the misery. You know, people can come and go for all sorts of reasons and they're not just consumers, they're not just mouths to feed. They're creative beings and whether people do great things in music because they're from one part of the planet or whether they cut the grass. People are capable of doing all sorts of things and fixing them and saying you can only come here if you're of benefit is that instrumentalist approach which says you're a number, what are you good for, rather than you're a human being and human beings across the planet, we want to be treated equally, don't we? I want to know what your attitude towards Abu Qatada, the Muslim cleric, currently under house arrest, but in three months' time will be free to wander our streets. And this, just to remind you, I'm sure you know, is the man many believe to be a threat to our national security. You said you don't believe in the whole European human court element of this. What would you do with him? Well, I think, you know... If he's committed a crime, then he should be locked up and tried on the basis of the evidence. But to be honest, you know, I I don't think we should lock people up and imprison because they've got crap ideas. You know, there's a difference between words and deeds. And if we haven't got the evidence to lock someone up, why are we being so hysterical? Great. Okay. well, now is the chance for you to engage in debate with each other. Something maybe that the other has said that you might want to take up, something that hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah, I mean, I I find myself agreeing with a little bit more than I expected of what Kerry said. Uh, And you didn't dwell that much on the open borders part of it. But I mean, I do think open borders are completely incompatible with anything like a modern social welfare state. If we opened our borders, no one knows how many people would come here. I mean, I think as a conservative estimate, another five or 10 million people till the place got so unbearable to live in that nobody else would want to come here. I mean, it would completely destroy. It's open borders are are simply not compatible with democracy or the welfare state. The point that's been made, and not by you know somebody particularly radical like myself, I think he's a free marketeer, that you could take the whole of the world's population, I'm sure you're familiar with this one, and fit the whole world's population into somewhere the size of the former Yugoslavia, and it would be about as densely populated as Manhattan. And Ma- Manhattan is not a bad place to live if you want a good life and good music and loft living and all that stuff. I'm sure quite a few of us and your listeners fancy that, I do. And we'd like all the greenery around it too. So given that's the case, what is your problem with... You know, why are you my, my so problem, obsessed I, with I, limiting I our numbers? I don't think it's a problem. What is it? I think you think it's Britain's a, I think overrun it's, or something? I think it's part of human nature to want boundaries and borders. You know, the very idea of a culture, the very idea of belonging to sort of something or somewhere requires some degree of enclosure, a sort of cultural enclosure, if not a physical one. And I think that is what our civilization has been built on, from tribal days to modern nation states. I believe in the moral equality of all human beings, but it doesn't follow from the moral equality of all human beings somewhere else it doesn't follow from the moral equality of all human beings that we have the same obligations to all human beings my favorite factoid on this is we spend 25 times more on the nhs every year than we do on development aid the logic of your position is that we should spend the same amount or even more on development aid than we do on the nhs no, my logic prefer, of my position we have David, a hierarchy is that we should create of, more why is it you know what basis is your lack of vision your inability to see the potential to grow the cake I, I, you don't I, seem to have a pro growth strategy it's all about sharing it out well, to I do, fewer you know, people, it's a very, isn't it? very bizarre pro-growth strategy to suggest that you grow the country more by inviting in lots of poor people from all over the world. Thank you very much, Carrie Dingle, David Goodhart, and now it's over to you, listeners of Fifth Column, your chance to have a say in the interrogation. You must have a lot to say after that. Now is the chance to say it. If you want to do as Emma suggests, join the debate by commenting on this podcast via our website. 
www.thefifthcolumn.co.uk